0: Verse number three says, "Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God." Brother Meadows, would you pray now, nice, Lord, to bless the message? Heaven Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity to be back in your house. Thank You, Father, for the the preachers that we have had already tonight. Lord, we pray that You use Brother Woodard tonight that You speak through him, Lord Jesus. And I ask You, Father, that You breathe on Your Word, breathe on Your man. Lord, we ask You, Lord Jesus, that You be with our pastor. Lord, use him up in Tennessee, Lord, we give You the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've covered in this series on the Antichrist and his attributes. We've covered guys like Cain and Nimrod and Sisera and Abimelech. And I'm trying to think, uh, I don't think I mentioned Solomon. We've done Nebuchadnezzar, Sennacherib. Uh, you've got Ketalomar, the Sodomite king. Uh, you got Haman um, in the book of Esther. Uh, you've got several other guys in there um, that are pictures. Um, you got not Darius, the other guy, Xerxes. Um, you got several other guys in there. But tonight, as you're, if you will, turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13, and we'll cover one of the greatest types of the Antichrist in the Bible. And it's a guy by the name of Absalom. And let me say this before I get started. If you weren't here in the six o'clock hour, you missed a blessing. Brother Lance, wherever he ran off to, and Brother Joe did a phenomenal job filling in, and I mean, just great job, guys. I'm not typically here when y'all get to preach, so it was a blessing for me to get to hear both of y'all preach, Um, and you really did a great job. I enjoyed it and got something out of it, so thank you very much for that. But we're covering this thing on Antichrist, so I'm going to kind of maybe move a little bit away from where Brother Joe was about cleaning the cupboard and getting some things off the plate, and maybe look at some characteristics of of the Antichrist in, in a character like Absalom, and sometimes those characteristics, as I've said before, show up in us in our own personal life. They show up in little things that happen to us and how we react to them or how we allow those situations to affect us. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I do better if I know what's right and wrong than not knowing at all. Because if I know how to react going into a situation, I'm much more apt to act the right way in the situation than I am to just act out of just gut instinct. Right. Um, you know, typically your, your gut instinct is a raw you know, unfiltered, unfettered, just gut action, and it ain't always the right action. Um, you know, and so you've, so you've got to learn sometimes to, to, to know what those characteristics are, know what your own weaknesses are, and know that, hey, I'm fixing to enter into a situation where, you know what, my temper's going to blow up, and if I'm not careful, I need to step back down a little bit and go take a deep breath, count to ten, you know, whatever it is you do, you know, serenity now or whatever, Um, You know, the world has all kind of little stupid innuendos. Uh, The best thing to do is throw up a Nehemiah prayer. You know, Lord, help me before you walk into those situations. Because if you at least think on the Lord before you go in, you at least are walking in with the right mindset. You're at least going, okay, I'm, this trouble's ahead. I see the trouble. It's coming, so I'm going to just stop. Lord, help. I don't know what else to pray because I don't know what the trouble is, but Lord, help. And too often times we see the trouble and it's just like, well, it's coming, so let's just go deal with it instead of stopping and pausing and going, Lord, help. And But I got to look at this situation with Absalom, and this is where Absalom shows up for the first time in 2 Samuel chapter 13 after Amnon has committed a horrible act against a, against a young woman, against his sister. And Absalom shows up for the first time here in, in, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 13. And look, in, uh, look down in verse number 20. It says and Absalom, her brother, that's Tamar's brother, said unto her, Hath Amnon been with thee? But hold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained in her, in her brother's house desolate. So something horrible has happened to her. And, Am, and Absalom is more worried about her public embarrassment or concealing the thing that went wrong instead of bringing it to light. Instead of bringing action and, and going, hey, something's gone wrong here. We need to deal with this thing. Something has been done wrong to my sister, and it needs to be handled. You know, too often times, like, well, let's just let's sweep it underneath the rug. Let's, let's not talk about it. Let's No, if somebody's committed wrong, they need to pay for their wrong. And, you know, I, I see in this situation, I mean, look in the next verse. It says, David, it says, but when King David heard all of these things, he was very wroth. So he's mad at the situation with Amnon. He's mad that Absalom's trying to cover it up. He's not happy about it. But here's the thing when I look through David, and I'm going to start here before I get into Absalom. But David, just two chapters earlier, has committed a pretty horrible sin himself. And he's been dealt with. God showed him his sin. And he said, you know what? I'm the man. I'm guilty. You have Psalms 51 comes out of that. Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, a broken and contrite heart. Thou shalt not refuse. David has the right heart when he's confronted about his sin. But in David's mind, and it happens to all of us, you you see somebody commit a sin, you see somebody do wrong, and there's this little voice inside go, yeah, but you've done worse. Yeah, but you know, I mean, I, you know, you you remember when you did this? You remember when this happened to you? That doesn't negate the responsibility the other person has to pay for the penalty of their sin. Just because God was gracious to you does not mean that God's going to be gracious to them. They still need to be confronted with their sin and the sin be revealed. Now, David as the king has the purview to be able to decide what he's going to do with his son. David has the ability, but he has the responsibility to bring the thing to light. According to the book of Deuteronomy, David should have taken his son out and had his son killed. Because if you go on down to the passage, you find out that when Absalom kills Amnon, David's not upset about it. He's upset Absalom's out of the kingdom. He's not really upset Amnon's dead because he knows... He knows what happens was the right thing. Well, look, it's like what preachers use the illustration before. You go into a court of law and you have a guy that's up for a DUI and the, the defense attorney gets up and goes, now if you've ever driven home drunk, you can't convict this man of driving home drunk. He who's without sin cast the first stone. No. He was caught. He needs to pay the penalty for his sin, needs to pay the penalty for his action, and he needs to go to jail. That's it. It it says it it says in Ecclesiastes that when judgment's not meted out swiftly, the wicked will continue to do wrong, thinking that they've escaped their escaped their punishment. It sets a precedent when you don't punish the evil that comes up. It sets a precedent when you don't go, "Hey, you did wrong. There's a penalty for what you did, and now you need to pay for it." Just listen. Every one of us in here have sinned at some point in time in our life. You had to know you were a sinner in order to be saved. You're not without sin. You're not perfect. You're not sinless before the law. But that doesn't mean when somebody else does something wicked and wrong, you're not to point it out. Remember what happened with the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 5? There's a guy in the church committing a very similar sin to what both of these guys have committed. And Paul jumps on him and goes, Hey, that stuff ought not be going on in the church. You not allow the wickedness in the church. You are not to allow the sin in the church. You are not to allow the filth in the church. You put that guy out of the church... And then maybe he'll be recovered of himself, come to himself like a prodigal, and come home. But too often times, well, you know, I mean, if I get on him, he knows something about me. And if I do this, it's going to come back on me. Hey, let God sort that out. You You don't stop doing the right thing just because you're afraid of the penalty. See, that's one of the things we're going to see about Amnon in a minute. But Amnon chose not to face the penalty of the punishment because he was more afraid of dying than he was afraid of doing something the right way. He loved himself. Amnon's greatest sin was he loved himself more than he loved anything else. He loved who he was. He loved loved that he was the king's son. Now, think about this. It is beneficial for Absalom to kill Amnon. Why is it beneficial? Because Amnon is the oldest son. He's heir to the throne. And guess who's number two? Absalom. So if Amnon's dead, guess who gets the throne? Absalom does. And so here the king has said, you know what? He's my son. You know what? I'm going to shut him up at the house. I'm going to put him in his house and not let him come out. And I'm going to pray that he'll get right over it. I'm going to pray he'll do the right thing. And I have to say this about David because I I have a hard time kicking King David because he's a man after God's own heart. But the reality is David in my mind is looking at his son. I, I, I can't see David being a bad dad. I can't see David as a dad who didn't show his kids how to follow the Lord, who didn't show his kids to walk with the Lord, who didn't teach his kids to go to the priest, who didn't teach the pri- the, to, to, go to, the, to go to the temple to make sacrifice. I imagine dad as a, a d- dad, David as a man after God's own heart, taking his family to church on, an, on a weekly basis. But he's got two boys that came up in church that don't love God. That's not David's fault. It is not David's fault that his boys don't love God. They just love themselves and love what they want more than they love God. They love the position they're in. They love the place that God gave them more than they love the God that gave it to them. And we find ourselves there sometimes in our own lives. We love where God has us more than we love God. We love the comfort of where God's put us at. We love the benefits of the place God's put us in. We love the all of the little things about it, and we're more worried about the things than we are are worried about the fellowship. We're more worried about what the the cost of all of the things are and the possessions and the reputation than we are about the king. And those boys are more worried about their personal desires than their testimony of their father. I mean, because listen, let's be honest. If somebody has a bad kid that gets out of fellowship and leaves the house and acts the fool, it is just fleshly instinct to go, man, they must have been bad parents. Like, whether it's a right thought or not, that, you, that thought jumps in your mind. You know what? It's a wicked thought. The, a, a bad kid says nothing about a, a bad parent. Amen. I have seen great parents raise bad kids, and I've seen bad parents raise great kids. Amen. It comes down to the kid. Yeah. At some point in time, that kid has to make a choice. And that kid has to choose to follow Jesus Christ. And it does not matter what they've been told. It does not matter how they've been raised. They have to come face to face with the Savior at some point in time themselves. And so for you to bear the weight of going, well, what did I do wrong? What happened to me? It doesn't matter. I it, it mean, it is like I can't tell you how many people who I think have great kids, how many people I think have bad kids I've talked to about why their kids turned out the way they did. And they're all like, well, we don't know what we did wrong. Or I maybe would have done this. I maybe would have tried this. I maybe would have thought about this a little differently. Like every, There is no standard answer to cross the board of why my kids turned out the way they did, whether good or bad. And so don't blame David for how his sons turned out. Don't hold David responsible for him having two knuckleheads that are just idiots. Those boys had every benefit you could possibly have in the entire world. Their dad was the man after God's own heart. Their dad is the king that's going to rule the earth in the millennium, in, the, in, the, in eternity. Their, their dad, their, the, Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David, not the throne of, any, of Saul or anybody else. He's sitting on the throne of David. They went to church. They had all the money. They had all the possessions. They had all the schooling. They had all the education. They had all the opportunity in the world, and they just loved themselves more than they loved their Savior, more than they loved God. And so Absalom decides to hide something, decides to sweep underneath the rug and go, you know what, I'm going to just hide this. I'm going to spare Tamar the embarrassment of the public deal. Well, maybe if that thing would have come to light, Amnon's dealt with publicly, and Tamar gets some relief from it. Maybe Amnon, she can go, hey, you know, at least, at least it was carried out. But you know what Absalom wants to do? Absalom wants to put, put his sister in bondage to him. Absalom puts her in his house and goes, look, you just don't leave the house. I'll take care of you. What's well, being a slave. If you lock me in the house and told me don't go nowhere, that's slavery. Well, that's what Absalom does. He puts people in bondage to him. He sets them up and he goes, no, I've got you now. I've got you right there. And then, and then he goes out. Two years, he takes time to fester and come together and come up with a thought of how to kill his brother. He just sits there and ponders on it. I don't know about you, but if you let something fester in your heart, you can conjure up all kind of things in your head really quick. And that's what, that's what Absalom did. Absalom's sitting there thinking, and he, he is conjuring, he is festering. That stuff is, how can I, if I do this, it's going to come out this way, and if I do this, it's going to shake this way, and if this happens, I'm going to do this. He, he's had two years, what is that, 730 days to contemplate how to kill his brother. That's a lot of time to be thinking about how to kill somebody. And he's sitting there in his mind, and he's, well, if I do this, I can do it this way, and if I kill him this way... This will happen, and and you know what he does? He goes to his dad and says, hey, dad, I want to have a family feast. I want to have everybody over the house, and let's have a big old Thanksgiving, but you don't need to come. Now, like, if you don't want your mom and dad at the party, you clearly have ill intentions of doing something you got no business doing if you can't invite mom and dad to the party. If you if you're doing something, if you're doing something in your home and you're inviting people over, and you and in your mind you go, well, I can't invite them; they're not going to like this. It's wrong. It's it's flat out wrong. It's wicked. It's evil, and you shouldn't do it. And you better stop. But that's Absalom. Absalom's going. Well, let, let me if I, I'm doing all this figuring, I'm doing all this putting together, I'm doing all this calculating. I'm, I, you know, this is what I'll do. I'll go to him in a name and have a big feast. It's harvest time. We'll gather everybody together and celebrate the harvest. He's a liar. He's a conniver. He's going around trying to get something for nothing. He's trying to take something because he's out to get his own. Romans 12 says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. That's in Deuteronomy as well. He had it in the law that he's not supposed to do it. The other thing is, his dad had already said, I'm not going to do anything about it at this point in time. He's like, I'm sitting on it. I'm waiting on it. I'm thinking on it. And his dad hadn't moved yet. Listen, if you're underneath somebody else's authority, you don't have the authority to go take that authority. There is this thing in this world where you think you can just, you know, well, I mean, they won't give it to me, so I'm just going to go take it. No, that's wicked. That's the devil. That's Lucifer. If God doesn't put you there, the Bible says promotion is coming either from from the east or the west or the south, but God. If God doesn't put you in a place, in a place of authority, in a, place of, in a position of authority, it's not yours to go and take it. It's not yours to go grab the bull by the horns. You have to wait for the Lord to lift you up and wait for the Lord to put you in the right place. And you go, you know what? As long as I'm underneath somebody else, you know what the best thing to me about being underneath somebody else is? All the responsibility ain't on my shoulders. Because at the end of the day, if I drop the ball, will you pick me? You know, I mean, it's a whole lot easier when you're not the head dog and you don't have to worry about everything. You know, you mean, for me as a contractor, I go into somebody's house and one of my guys has done something dumb, done something goofy, messed up something in their house. You know who they're mad at? Me. Yeah. You hired that guy. Yeah. I, like, we're, not, we're human. We're not perfect. We can't do it perfect 100% of the time. I'm really sorry. Like, we'll fix it. But you jump on me like I'm the idiot that hired the guy. Well... You do dumb stuff all the time, too. You make mistakes. We all make mistakes. We're all human. We all mess up. You can't have expectations that are ridiculous. And we live in this world that just, you know, well, it's mine, and I, you know, I do this, and I deserve this, and I should have this. and, Well, no. You know what? Don't give anybody more grace than the Lord's given you. Amen. But you have a guy like Absalom who goes, you know what? Daddy won't do it. I'm going to do it. You better be careful. The thing I remember Doc saying, if he said it once, he said it 2,500 times in school was, the hit man always gets hit. And anybody who takes out somebody else, they wind up getting taken out themselves. He would use Lee Harvey Oswald and Jack Ruby and Jack Ruby getting taken out. And he would use a guy like uh, Amnon, Absalom, and Absalom gets taken out by Joab, and Joab gets taken out by Solomon or by Benaiah through Solomon The hitman always gets hit. Don't be the hitman. If God doesn't send you to use a sword, don't go use the sword. We're in an age where the sword does not come out very often. The sword is not used every single day to cut somebody's head off. The towel is what is supposed to be used. It's a whole lot easier to pick the sword up and cut their head off because then guess what? You don't have to deal with them ever again. Right? They can just they're done. Like, it's over with. You never have to see them again. They won't ever speak to you. They're not coming around because they're dead. But if you pamper them and take care of them and deal with them, guess what? They keep coming around. Right. You know, I keep feeding my three kids and they won't leave. <laughs> but that's the reality of it. If somebody's being taken care of, they're being ministered to, they're going to keep coming around. Amen. And... You know what the Lord wants? The Lord wants them to keep coming around. The Lord wants to see them keep getting help. And maybe it's not comfortable for you to be the helper. But maybe you need to learn to be the helper. Maybe you need to learn to take up the towel. Maybe you have sat long enough and had your feet washed. You know, Absalom and Annam certainly had their feet washed more than one time at the king's table. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure in their life they never picked up the bucket and washed anybody else's feet in the house. I mean, they're the king's boys. Well, you know what? Sometimes the king's boys have to pick up the basin and wash some feet. Sometimes you've got to be willing to get down and wash some feet and go, you know what? God's been good to me, and I want to be good to somebody else. You know, you sit there, and you just soak everything up, and you take it in, and you take it in, and you never get it out. You get spiritually fat. If you, if you don't give out what God's given to you, it's of no benefit to anybody else. God's not giving it to you just to help you, just to help you grow. He's giving it to you to help somebody else. He's giving you the opportunity to minister because he allowed you to go through some things. God didn't allow you to go through things just to make you better. The Lord's interested in us being a vehicle for him, not a vehicle for ourselves. And when you see Absalom, what you see is a man who's after himself. Absalom's not interested in anything but himself. He's only interested in being lifted up, his position, his place of authority, where he's at, what he's doing, and the whole nine yards. He's not interested in walking with, hey, Dad, where do you want me to go? Hey, Dad, you never see a conversation between Absalom and his dad about, hey, Dad, what would you do in this situation? Hey, Dad, how would you consider this? You know who you see that with? You see it with Solomon. You see Solomon sitting by the bedside of his dad as he's dying, and his dad's going, hey, son, be careful for this. Watch out for this. This is going to happen. These things are going to go. Well, that's the right spirit. That's going, hey, Dad, I know I'm fixing to get exalted, but I've never done this before. You got any advice for me? Amen. And I'll guarantee you, that wasn't the first time that David and Solomon had a conversation. They had talked plenty of times before, otherwise, Solomon wouldn't have been the one on the throne. What like Bashia gave birth to him and said, All right, I'll see you in 25 years. No, Solomon was around the house. He was seeing the way his dad did some things. He was seeing the way Solomon doesn't go and build the temple if he's not going to church with his dad and seeing what his dad's doing and loving what his dad's doing. There's a reason Solomon does what he does. But not only does he hide the crime, not only does he kill his brother, not only is he a bully, I mean Solomon, he hosts this party to kill these people because he wants to put fear in the heart of all of his brethren. He's interested in everybody else being afraid of him because that's his leadership style. Follow me or I kill you. That's not leadership. That's slavery. A leader is somebody who's going along and people get behind him and follow where he's going. I heard a preacher say this the other day. He goes, he goes a leader going for a walk and nobody's behind him. No, a, leader, a, a leader going for a walk and nobody's behind him is just on a walk. But a leader is somebody who's going somewhere, and he's got people behind him, and they're following him. Well, Absalom's not out leading the people. He's behind him with a whip, just beating them. And he's going, you better walk, you better walk, you better get moving, you better do this, you better... Listen, the Lord's not in the, in the game of bondage. He's not giving us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. He's, he's, not, coming to, he's not coming to put us into bondage. He's come to set the captives free. He's come to take off the change. He's come to give us the liberty. And He's come to give us the ability to enjoy fellowship with Him. There is a freedom in having fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ that never comes in being in the world. When you're walking in the flesh, it is absolutely miserable walking in the flesh because you realize you were on your own. You realize you were striving for yourself. You realize you were doing everything for yourself. And it is like just, it's just pure just misery. Because nothing works right, even when you think it's going right, it's not going right, it's falling apart, it's, all, it's built on sand, it's, it's laying down there, it's going to come apart at some point in time, and it's just not, any, it's not worth anything. But when you're doing something with the Lord and stuff's coming apart, you're going, you know what, if God's putting this on me and I'm walking through it, I'm in the right place doing the right thing. And there must be some foundation here because he's given me the grace to stand right now. He's given me the ability to stand and keep moving forward. And he's pushing me and giving me some mercy and going, you know what? This guy needs something extra and I'm going to keep pushing him and I'm going to keep leading him forward. There's nothing greater than knowing you're doing something for God and, it's, and you got trouble all around you. It's like I'm finally in the middle of it. Now listen, I'm not sitting here going, I, I love all of the trouble. Don't, trust me, my, I would love for the trouble to go away. But I would love for, you know, the fire marshal to come, just walk up tomorrow and go, here's your CO. That'd be great. But guess what? Life don't work that way. It ain't happening that way. It ain't working that way. We're going to have to push through all of the steps. We're going to have to complete every step, meet all of the things in order for him to give us what we need. Well, that's the Christian life. The Christian life is one step at a time. Do this and I'll let you do this and you do this and I'll let you do this. You do this and I'll let you do this. It's not... Just go and take it all and get it all done right away. Amen. This get rich quick mentality, this me, 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 me stuff that we live in today is just filth and it's a waste and, it, and it's worthless. Amen. There's no value in it whatsoever. It, it, is a, it is just a hurtful, hurtful thing to you to spend time, you're, you're time serving a dead man. When you're serving the flesh, you're serving a dead man. I don't know about you, but I've never gone to the funeral home and said, let me take this guy out to lunch. (laughs) But when you're spending time with the flesh, that's what you're doing. You're taking a dead man to lunch. You're taking a dead man to the restaurant and paying his bill. Why? Why are you working for a corpse? Why are you you serving a corpse? That's what Absalom's doing. Absalom's interested in Absalom and not anybody else. He wants everybody else to know who he is. Because he's got little man syndrome, he's got an inferiority complex, he doesn't, he, he, he doesn't understand that God's the only person that... Can, he doesn't realize that God put David where David is. David did not put David where David is. Right. Right. And he goes, well, my dad got the throne, and Saul died, so my dad could have the throne, so maybe if my dad dies, I'll get the throne. Because Saul, Saul I mean, Absalom comes back, comes after the throne, after he's gone out for two years, and he's serving himself, and he's loving himself, But this root of bitterness is building up in his heart. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, he's got a root of bitterness starting to build up between him and his dad. He's like, I don't know why my dad's not lifting me up. I don't know why my dad's not putting me up. Well, maybe because you went and murdered your brother. Vigilante justice is not justice. We have a justice system for justice. Listen, trust me. Somebody does something to one of my kids, I'm going to want to go take and chop their head off. Don't get me wrong. But the reality is there is a system in place to deal with that and handle that. But too often times we want to take justice in our own. Well, they did me wrong, so I'm going to handle it. Or I saw them do somebody else wrong, I'm going to handle it. No, you better let God handle it. Amen. You let a God deal with it, you better go, you know what? I better tell somebody else about this and let them handle this because I'm going to meet it out how I see fit. That may not be how God wants me to, wants me to do it. Because David is the one in authority. David's the one, he's the king. He's the one supposed to meet out justice. He's the one supposed to handle the situation, not Absalom. You can't tell me if you're a man in here, you've not ever had the thought, well, if I was president, I'd do it this way. <laughs> Guess what? You're not president, neither am I. And you ain't king, and you ain't on a throne but God is. Praise the Lord. But Adam, Absalom says, give me the throne and I'll, I'll be the guy. Right. I, 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 I right. want it all. Absalom lifts himself up. He's constantly lifting himself up. He's constantly telling, him, telling stories about him. You ever met somebody with that one-upper mentality? Yeah. You know, you get excited about something. mean, let me tell you what happened to me. Okay, that's great. Well, let me tell you what happened to me. Well, let me tell you what happened to me. And every time, they, every time you have a story, they have a story. I know who you're thinking of. And it's nobody in the church. Am I right? Amen. We both know a guy. Maybe a couple. But that's the spirit of Absalom. That's the spirit of Antichrist that says, well, you got a story. I got one better. You, you know, you're, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I, yeah. Yeah, well, wait till, you, wait till you've been doing this as long as I have. Yeah, I've seen that before. Yeah, I, I've, I, yeah. No. You know what? If somebody's got a story, enjoy the story. And, and let, them, let, them, let them be lifted up for a little while. Let, let them get some enjoyment of, about whatever God's done for them. Let them share. You don't need to tell, you know, all of the 10 million people you've led to the Lord. And if you have led 10 million, where are they? How come they're not in church? But Absalom's all about Absalom. Absalom's about seeing himself lifted up. He's seeing about seeing who he is, where he's at. Um, turn over to uh, turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 16. Chapter 17. In chapter 16, Absalom does something that demonstrates he has no conviction about sin whatsoever. Absalom does something publicly that is so wicked and so vile and has no shame about it whatsoever. If you ever find yourself in a place where sin doesn't bother you, you're in the wrong place. When you find yourself in a place where you're, somebody brings sin to your remembrance and it doesn't bother you, you're in the wrong place. Amen. You're serving the wrong guy. You're serving the wrong man. You're not serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin should bother you. You should feel bad about sin. You should feel guilty about sin. You should never go, well, thank God for that sin. No. There, that's not something you thank God for. You thank God for the blood, but you don't rejoice in that sin. You don't rejoice in that fil- filth. Absalom's like, I'm going to take pleasure in this and I'm going to do it. I don't care who sees it, God or everyone. Well, that clearly shows Absalom believes he's God and not God himself. Because back over in chapter 15, Absalom asks his dad, he says, Hey, dad, I want to go down to Hebron so that I can can make an offering to the Lord. He's a liar. He wasn't going to make an offering to the Lord. He went down there and gathered himself an army and he went down there and got some troops together and said, I'm going to take the throne. And here he is in 16 doing something absolutely filthy. And, then in, and the Lord, what's amazing to me, is the Lord allows Absalom to just run his course. You don't really see the Lord put his hand in and intervene. He just lets Absalom's actions run, and they all come to a natural end. Same thing with the Antichrist in the Tribulation. He lets the Antichrist run, and the Antichrist runs himself into a ditch. He runs himself into a place where Here's the result of your actions. There's, there's, there's no further to go. There's no other option but down at this point in time. Well, that's the same thing that happens to Absalom. He just lets Absalom run out his life. You know the thing that scares me the most is that God would take his hand off me and just let me live my life. Amen. Let me live 60, 70 more years, or whatever. Well, I guess probably not that long, but another 40, 50 years and not ever have fellowship with me ever again. Just let me go and... Get the jump seat of Christ and go, Lord, I thought we were talking. I thought we were walking. No, my hand hadn't been on you since way back over there, buddy. Here's your reward. And that, yeah. good night, that scares me. And I've seen the Lord do it. I've seen the Lord take his hand off of somebody and let their life run its course. And. Yeah. Every one of them that I'm thinking of, their life has run its course and it's all come to an end and there's nothing, you go, well, what was that for? And you can trace it back and you can go, well, here and here and here, God gave them a chance and they didn't, God gave them a chance and they didn't, God gave them a chance and they didn't, God gave them a chance and they didn't and God just said, okay, turn them over to the devil for the destruction of the flesh is what Paul says, he just let them run. And so Absalom here in chapter 17, he goes, Ahithophel, and if you know anything about the story, Ahithophel is Bathsheba's granddad. Ahithophel was was David's counselor, was one of David's priests, was there to help David, minister to David, give David counsel, and his granddaughter is Bathsheba. You don't think there's maybe a little bit of bitterness there? A little bit of, you know, I cannot believe you did that to my family? after all I've helped you with, you went and did that to my family. That's pretty rough. And so he comes as a wise counselor to Absalom and and offers Absalom counsel. And it is the right counsel. But Absalom is so full of pride that when Hushai comes up and offers counsel, he's like, I like what he said better than him. This this, this, This thing that Hushai said is more about glory. It gives me more glory. It sets me up. It makes people know who I am. It makes people wonder... You know, it puts me on the throne. It, it lets people know that I can rule this kingdom, I can handle it, and it's a lie. And you know what you find when you get around somebody who has been deceived, who God's taken their hand off of? They start believing lies. They start thinking there's something they're not. They start thinking, well, I got this. I can handle this. I don't need your help. I can just walk wherever I want to walk. No, you can't. God's just letting you run your course, and you're going to die and go to heaven if you're saved, but you ain't going to have nothing to show for it. That's a scary thing. Amen. That's a scary thing to let, that, that that God would just let you run your course and let your life run out, and there it is. Dr. Ruttman preaches that message. Um, oh goodness, I can't think of the title of the message, but he he he's drawing these different figures up here, and he's got uh, he's got a guy with a with a bottle and he's drinking. He's got a guy with a deck of cards playing cards. He's got a a priest with an incense thing or a wafer. Um, he's got a woman with a tongue. Uh, he's got a woman with a bob haircut for some reason. Um, he's got like five or six different things. And he says, what's it called, Bear Lance? Hypocrites in, the Hypocrites in the church. And he goes, now I'm not saying that you can't drink. And I'm not telling you that you can drink. But I'm saying if he's a Christian, there he is. And he goes through each one of these things and he goes, and I'm not saying you can't do this and you can't do that, but there he is. And I can't tell you who this is, but there he is. Well, I don't want to get to heaven and God goes, well, yeah, I saved him, but there he is. What what a miserable thing to think that you lived your life for yourself and put yourself on the throne and set yourself up and did what you wanted to do and had what you wanted to have and didn't give God the glory. Well, that's Absalom. Absalom is all about giving it to himself, giving it to himself. And you know what happens to Absalom? Absalom, his pride ultimately kills him. Absalom, and I I can't, as a guy, I can't, I can't think, I I, I can't understand this. But his hair is so pretty (laughs) that like Rapunzel, he lets it down once a year and they weigh it. To see how much it's grown. Now, Brother Val, if you did that with your hair, I'd pull your man card. <laughs> I, I Amen. But, I mean, who does that? He wears his hair up in a man bun. And once a year, he lets it down so everybody can see it, comb it out, see how beautiful it is, and go, well, this year it weighs 12 pounds. I don't want to carry extra 12 pounds on my head. But it's the thing that he thought made him somebody. It's his looks. Absalom's worried about the outside. Absalom's always focused on what everybody can see, what everybody thinks about, what everybody's paying attention to, and he's not dealing with the heart at all. Absalom misses out on the fact that God was interested in his heart, not interested in the benefit he gave him of an external beauty. He was a pretty man. He, I mean, he's he was a he was a pretty boy. Probably mama's boy, you know. Probably was dressed in you know polos and khaki shorts and penny loafers, you know, going to school. You know, LL Bean backpack and you know little leather belt and you know just a real pretty boy. Now, he grew up that his 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 whole life that way. You know, mama let him have the long hair and you know little you know what what is it mullet or rat tail or whatever. Right now, you know, it's it's just pretty. It's just. Look at me, the girls love it. You're 12. You don't need no girls loving you. You need to be fishing, shooting, hunting, doing something different, but you don't need no girls loving you at 12. You need to move on from that stuff. You don't need no girls loving you at 16. You don't need them loving you at 18. You need what you're about 25. They're trouble. I love mine to death. I thank God for every day. And girls, guys are trouble. They will foul you up, and they will mess you up, and they will get you out of the will of God quicker than anything in the world. Leave them alone until God brings the right one in your life. This dating thing if I'm going to try this one and try that one, it is a waste of time and a waste of effort in the world we live in today. Because whatever somebody else thinks about dating, it is not what you think about dating for your child. It is not what you envision. It is not what you're thinking about. And if you're not with the two of them all the time, I am sorry, but... Nature is going to take its course. And yet, we let that stuff happen in our own Christian lives. We, we let things come together that have no business coming together in our Christian lives. We're like Absalom. We have something pretty. We're like, well, that's my sunshine. That's my little boy. That's my little girl. That's, yeah, so? You still have a responsibility to raise them. You still have a responsibility to do the right thing. You still have a responsibility to pour them in Jesus Christ. Not, you know, show them off to the whole world. Right. Not dress them up, throw them in a beauty pageant. Amen. You know, well, this is my little athlete. But listen, do you know how many Michael Jordans there have been that thought they were Michael Jordan at 12? And how many of them have turned into Michael Jordan? One. Nobody is a Michael Jordan. Not even LeBron James. You <laughs> <laughs> guys, such a wannabe. But you got a guy like Absalom who's only interested in himself. And his greatest attribute is his pride. It's me, 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 me. And you know what the society we live in today is? Me. Me, 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 me. Self E. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at where I'm at. Look at where I'm going. You wish you were here. You wish you could be like me. You wish you could have what I have. You wish you could drive the car that I drive. You wish you could make the money that I make. You wish you could go to this place. You wish you could get this credit card. You wish you could drive this car. You wish you could have this airplane. You wish you had this house. You wish you had this. And it is all about me, 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 me. You know what the devil's first words were? I will ascend. I I will go up. You know, there's an interesting thing. You ever go through your Bible, and when somebody's talking to the Lord, you ought to look at the difference of the times when they go, when they say "I am" and they say "Here am I." Every time somebody says, "You go up there to, to Genesis 22 with Abraham." Abraham's first response in either verse 1 or 2 when the Lord calls him, he goes, here I am. You know what he says by the end of that thing? He goes, here, I, here am I. I'm last. Ain't, I am is God's name. Amen. Not yours, not mine. It's God's name. Amen. It's here am I. Here, Lord, here am I. Yes, sir. You're right. You're right, Lord. You're, you're right. Yep. Spot on, brother. You're right. It's not... Me, it's not I am, it is the I am, but you're last. Joy, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. We're to take the back seat. Our desires are to go to the back seat so that his desires can come forward. His joys can come out. Jesus said, Jesus said if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Amen. He didn't go, if I put you up there, you're going to draw them all. No, no. It doesn't matter. I was telling Brother Lance this afternoon, I've seen some guys get in this pulpit and preach some messages that you would go, well, that guy that guy preaches? And I've seen God get all over them and use them and seen people flood the altar, and you know what it was? It was they were a clean vessel. They were willing to be used by God, and God goes, I like that. I'm going to bless that. I'm going to honor that. I'm going to do something for that because that guy is clean. He's not worried about what people think about him. He just wants people to get the message. You know what? We should just want people to get the message. We shouldn't want people to see us. We're we're supposed to get down so that he's lifted up, so that he gets the glory, so he has the preeminence, so he's first in everything, so that he is the one that shines through. You and I can't do any saving whatsoever. We don't do any of the, of the conviction. I don't care how great of an orator or talker or negotiator you are. You can have all of the right words. And if God ain't in it, that soul ain't getting saved. Amen. And I've watched people who can't witness to a fence post and say, Jesus loves me. And somebody goes, I want to get saved. Because they just want to tell somebody about Jesus. They, they don't say any of the right words. They don't say any of the right processes. And God gets on it and goes, I like that. I'm going to let them see somebody get saved right now. Because they just want God to be lifted up. They're not interested in themselves. But you get a spirit of Absalom in you. And you got to be careful not to let that thing well up inside of you. Because it wells up. And it's not just in front of everybody else. It happens, in your, it happens in the quietness of your own vehicle. Where somebody pulls out in front of you and you go, Why do you do that to me? Why wouldn't you let them in? Are you, in, are you that important that you couldn't Slow down and let them ease over? Amen, brother. Or you turn your blinker on and nobody lets you over? Don't you know who I am? I just need to get over. Well, maybe God don't want you to get over right now. Amen. Maybe God wants you to realize you ain't nobody. Amen. Maybe God wants you to go make a U-turn. Or you're at work and somebody gets a promotion. You go, why that guy I can tell you this guy doesn't do this. He doesn't do this. I help him with this. If it wasn't for me, he wouldn't be this. Well, I don't know. Maybe God wanted to see how you'd react right. and go. Oh, oh, oh. No. The reality is, if he's lifted up, then he can. Then he will. He will lift you up as he's lifted up. This idea that we can do it on our own. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5 and we'll close with this. 1 Peter 5. I'm going to leave you with this tonight because this is... The number one sin of the Antichrist is his pride. And the number one sin of Christians today is their own pride. They tend to look at themselves as better than somebody else. Well, thank God I'm not like the and homosexuals out there in the world and thank God that I don't paint my hair purple and thank God I, you know, don't do this and thank God I don't do that and thank God I'm not, no. (laughs) You're a Pharisee. The publican publican bows himself himself to the Lord and goes, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. You know what you and I are supposed to do, Lord? I'm a sinner. But Lord, I want to do something for you. If you'll use me, I will, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Lord. What's that illustration the preacher just used? Lord, if you want me to be a plate, I'll be a plate. Lord, if people want to throw stuff on me, I, they can throw stuff on me if that's what you want me to do. Lord, I just want you to use me. Yes, and I'll be whatever you want me to be. But in First Peter chapter 5, he says this. He says, look in verse number uh, 5. He says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth, resisteth the proud... And giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. It's up to you and I to lift him up. It's up to you and I to go, Lord, I can't do it without you. I'm not going to make it without you. I'm not going to walk without you. I'm not going to go anywhere without you because if I do it on my own, it is I might as well take a dead man to lunch. And so... I want to encourage you tonight as we get ready for the Jubilee and you begin to prepare for what's going on over there. Don't be shocked if we get into that building and your seat is not in the same place. Guess what? It's going to be much bigger and we're all going to have to find a new seat. The rows are going to sit like 10 or 12 people to a row. You're going to have people all over the place in there and your place is not going to be where it normally is. Some of you may move to the other side and some of you may move to the other side. It's going to be a little different. But it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the preacher. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ being Amen. lifted up. And if you'll begin to bring yourself down now, you'll, be, you'll begin to prepare yourself for that meeting. If you'll begin to put him first, if you'll begin to walk with him, if you'll begin to talk with him, if you'll begin to wash those things out of your life, guess what? You'll be ready for that meeting when it comes. You won't have to come to the altar and get right the the first night of the altar or get right the second night of the altar. If you're getting right now, you'll be able to go to the altar, not because you need to get right, but because you just want to thank the Lord and give God glory. Because you want to go to the altar and go, Lord, what else can I give you? Lord, Lord, here's my basket. I got five loaves and two fishes. I've given you all my sin. Now I want to give you all the rest of my stuff. And that'll be a blessing. You'll get to see God show up like He showed up here on Sunday morning. And do something that will be just for Bible Believers Baptist Church. And it will be an encouragement to all the other folks that are here. And so I just want to encourage you to think about that. Question yourself and ask the Lord. Go, Lord, do I have the spirit of Absalom in me right now? Are there some things I need to give up? Are there things I need to let go of? What do I need to do with this?